Hi, welcome back to Escape Leaving Hell Behind. In this podcast, we talk with people who have left an overbearing religion or cult behind. We are back again today, and I am here with my guests. Why don't you introduce yourself, what religion you left, and tell us your story. Uh, my name is Brad. I'm a family life coach, and I left uh, the Southern Baptists convention behind. What made you want to leave? Well, there were a lot of things, actually. I started to deconstruct on my own. Um, I, I was a pastor for 20 plus years. And so I started deconstructing on my own and didn't uh, agree with uh, their stance uh, on women, uh, misogyny. Uh, I didn't agree with their stance on LGBTQ+, all kind of gaslighting and everything that went on within that structure. And the structure is not going to change. My daughter came out um, when she was 11 and small group and without me knowing, um, I was a family life pastor at that time and uh, it kind of took us all by shock. Not that I was anything wrong with it. It was just kind of like, okay, it would have been nice to have a heads up uh, because I had all these people coming up to me and saying, hey, um, we're praying for your daughter. We're going to be here for you. We're going to fix your daughter you know, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, there's nothing wrong with my daughter. And so I knew right then and there, uh, was kind of like the nail in the coffin, if you want to put it that way, that I knew right there, I was going to choose my daughter over, over religion. And so I walked away at that time, um, between that and another situation that went on there. It, it was time for, for me personally to move on and see what my next, uh, adventure was going to be. How long were you a pastor for? I was a pastor for 20 plus years. Now, because I, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, so I did the usual ask Jesus in your heart at age eight, call in the ministry at age 15. I'm a middle child, which means I try to fix everything and uh, try to make the family unified. So follow the straight and narrow uh, purity culture before it was called purity culture. Um, basically it was more like, Hey, do this and you're going to burn in hell or parts of your body. You're going to fall off. I, uh, went to college, Christian college, got my, or got my biblical studies degree, went to seminary, got my master's degree. Uh, never liked speaking from stage a whole lot. So although I have been a lead pastor before, I was primarily executive pastor, um, youth pastor, um, family life pastor, all those other roles. And so I was young. I was groomed to be a pastor. And there's lots of backstory there. So um, I followed that line. And for 20 plus years, I stuck with it and then just started over. So your daughter coming out was a big part of that. Did you leave gradually or do you leave more abruptly? Uh, it was a little bit gradual just because, I mean, we had to kind of get our ducks in a row, if you want to call it that, because me leaving it was like, okay, now financially, what are we going to do? And so, you know, I had to kind of uh, figure some things out and, and I went home and I talked to my partner and my partner, I sat down and thought about it and talked through it and what would be the best avenue, right? So there was, I'm a planner. That's the way I work. <laughs> so I just had to make sure that whatever I did, I set my kids up in the best situation possible. How long ago was it since you left? Uh, it's been about, uh, three years. 
And so I, I left and I got a job at a cigar shop, um, a lounge, right? And so, you know, you go somewhere that no other Christians are going to probably show up a whole lot. Uh, and I, I just kind of found new people and I discovered that, hey, people outside of the church are really nice, right? And and uh, and so I had a, a an adjustment period. I, I went to uh, counseling. I found an atheist counselor um, so that I... I didn't have to sit across from someone that I knew had an agenda, right? And so um, I I went and saw her and and kind of got my life in a row because I mean, when you've lived that life, you know, for forty years, you get out. It's like okay, now I've got to learn to trust myself. I have to learn whether or not I like pumpkin pie. I have to decide, you know, what does what is what does marriage look like? You know, everything is back on the table for what you what you thought you believed is no longer the case. And so it took some time for me to discover me. And I kind of kept it to myself um, until I was ready to let people know. And I knew when I would let people know that my life was going to change. And it did. Um, I knew that when I let people know that I was no longer a Christian, that family members wouldn't want to talk to me. Like, I haven't talked to my mom for three years, I think it's been, because she didn't want to hear that. She thinks I'm going to hell, um, you know, and she said as much. So I guess you could say in starting over, I found a great amount of freedom, but it was a struggle for first, you know. It was lonely uh, because I lost every friend but maybe three couples in my whole entire experience of, of, of being in church and in that, uh, in that culture. Now, your partner and you, how has that been navigating your relationship since leaving where that changes people and people often discover they are different and that can affect a relationship? Yeah, you know, it's it's great because my partner left, or I should say started deconstructing, deconstructing way before me. It just so happens when I started deconstructing, I went like, boom, you know, I flew right through it. But my partner has always been number one, my best friend, and always been someone that I could talk things through. And and she gave me the freedom to talk things through. And so every step of the way, we've just kept honest, open communication. And um, it has been, it's been great. So the ways I've changed, the way she's changed, we just do our best to uh, talk through it. There's no judgment. Um, and so it actually has really even more so improved our relationship. Well, that is good because that's not always the case. It, it's very rarely the case because in the amount of, I mean, my time as being a life coach and helping people specifically deconstruct, you have parents that have kicked their children out for leaving the churches or whatever cult they're in. You've had parents that uh, disown them. You've had parents that, I mean, couples that break up because they literally go in two different directions. And that's normally the case, unfortunately. I'm just very fortunate that's not my case. So you left three years ago. How has it been deconstructing the racism and patriarchy and all the other harmful stuff that religions teach? You know, that's a, that's a great question. It was shocking to me. Uh, it just how steep religion gets into um, a person's, uh, well, their entire body and every decision they make and every thought they make. 
or come to or, or conclusion they come to. I, I am I'm dumbfounded because you never really see it completely um, for what it is until you actually separate yourself from that cult or that religion. Right. It's very difficult to see because everything you're doing, you're doing for God. Right. Or a deity. Right. And so every decision you make is supposed to be filtered through what would God have me do? Right. Or the bracelets that used to make, what would Jesus do? WWJD, you know, I mean, all those kinds of things. So, so when you're, when deconstructing, you have to break down the systems personally that you have held on to your entire life. Right. I, I went in and said, okay, you know, is there such a thing as sin? Is there such a thing as right and wrong? You know, and you start kind of going into that. And my thoughts were always like making things black and white when that wasn't the case, right? There, there are gray areas. And so like dealing with misogyny, you're, you're looking at a book that's been written, rewritten, pieced together, said whatever, you know, they wanted to say when you're talking about the Bible um, and people take that as fact. And so within that, you obviously have the man is above the woman. That's what you have. And there's scripture for that. And you can't go against that within that religion because that's what God said, because it's supposedly God's word. And so thinking outside the box or or that slippery slope, as they will call it, um, allows you to kind of pull the spring and the string and let it unwind. And you go, OK, well, if that's that, that's that. And so it's more of rewiring your brain. Not going down the normal path, your brain will go, but to kind of push it off the side and, and figure out a new way of thinking. And so dealing with that and racism and, and all the hot topics, um, purity culture, you know, how they try to control your body as well. I mean, that's just some messed up stuff. My partner and I both waited till we were married. I was 27 before I had sex because it was evil outside of marriage. And what what religion does is it tells you that over and over and over again. So when you actually get to your wedding night, it's not easy to turn off your brain and say, no, now it's suddenly good. Right? Why? Because you've been trained ever since you're young that, number one, you're evil, that you made someone else die on the cross for you. There's no good in you, that you can't trust your own decisions or trust yourself. You don't trust your instincts. And they train you that way because as you're a kid, you can't critically think. It's like child abuse. And so you have these thoughts. And so it doesn't just change the moment that, say, you get married. It, it just, it, with the way, so you have to learn to rewire. And so when I went to counseling, that was a big part of it, uh, of figuring out, hey, what were my pre-understandings? What structures or uh, did I have in place that needed to be torn down? And the more I did that, the more I looked at the the Protestant church and went, oh, my Oh my God, it's just nothing. It's just all about power. It's all about control. It's just obviously, as you know, just messed up. You mentioned purity culture, and now most of my guests have experienced that from the other side. So how is purity culture for you as a man? It's different, yet there are some similarities. Like, okay, let's just call it what it is. Uh, purity culture for women within uh, the Protestant church is hell. and. They, they can't do anything right, according to the Protestant church, right? I mean, Eve screwed them, 
and it's their fault for guys not being able to take responsibility for their own thoughts. Uh, it, it's just a downward spiral for them. For for a male uh, and someone that is trying to follow any kind of purity culture, obviously it's a little more forgiving because you know it's so male dominated. Because I mean, it's the common thing. All men want to marry a virgin, but they don't want to be one, right? I mean, it's that 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 thread. But at the same time, for me personally, because I was someone that followed the rules to a T, and because of someone I never, because I'm someone that doesn't rebel or didn't rebel, I walked that straight line, and so I would feel guilty all the time if I if I looked at a woman lustfully or anything that had to do with anything that was remotely sexual. Because that's, as a male, you're spo- I still had responsibility to control my thoughts or not think those things or look at those things or anything. And so I was one of those people always with a guilty conscience, so I beat myself up about everything. Uh, it's just me personally. It was, it was more of, hey, let me walk the straight and narrow because this pleases God, and I don't want to piss him off. Right. And I want to be I want to prove myself as a good Christian guy. And that was largely because um, I'm a, I was a people pleaser. I have the most amazing guilty conscience in the world at that time. Now, being ex-Baptist for you before you got married, did you limit other physical affection? <laughs> OK, so, yeah, no sex before marriage. I had no prom kissing uh, or making out, uh, anything like that. If anything went beyond that, then it was like penitence, you know, then it was like, I'm going to just, I'm going to feel guilty for days, right? You know, because I've done bad. But so basically what it does is it just takes your sexual desires and you push it down and push it down and and you try the best you can to ignore it, right? Because anything you do to act on that, whether it's masturbation or anything else, is evil, right? And so you just you just kind of, you know, put it frankly, you just hope that, okay, to get relief, I hope I have a wet dream, as it's called, right? I mean, like, because you're not allowed to do anything. I tried to maintain, you know, the, you know, remember, heavy petting's bad, light petting's bad, you know, make room for Jesus in between you, um, stuff like that that never really works, you know? So I, I'm not saying I, I, I mean, I didn't have sex, I'm not saying I didn't do other things, but the amount of guilt and everything was enough to, you know, draw you back to Jesus for, for the great travesty you have committed. Now, something I am curious about, especially where you are a pastor did you notice a problem with sexual assault in the smallest geographical area of the Baptist church? Well, the Southern Baptist churches, although they're part of the Southern Baptist denomination, I mean, it adheres to certain guidelines from, from the convention, the Southern Baptist convention. Okay. But the Southern Baptist church also kind of independently operates as their own entity. Okay. So, you know, they're preaching their own sermons, supposedly. They're picking their own music on Sunday mornings. They deal with in-house discipline. You know, it's not like when I, any church I've been a part of, that if there's an issue in the church, we go to the convention or something bigger. 
that not, not was not necessarily the case. It was usually handled in-house. And so I have been privy to maybe one instance of, well, not one, but there have been multiple instances um, throughout my life to where somebody, the, the abuse has taken place. The only abuse I've known about has been verbal in the way of sexual. And so I don't know of anything necessarily physical or anybody being abused. Now that, that that's something that maybe I just missed. Maybe I was naive about because I was very rarely, if ever the lead pastor. So I wasn't, you know, those things are called, called usually hush hush as we've discovered. Basically a lot of it has been sexual verbal abuse that has occurred within the workplace and places I've been. So theoretically, if sexual abuse was happening, from what you know, was there any punishment for that that you know of? Because I wasn't privy to anything or seen anything or heard anything like that, usually, and obviously with the new Southern Baptist data that's come out, obviously they had swept a lot um, under the rug uh, when it comes down to it. Uh, They were not holding pastors or other people accountable. Uh, there was a lack of discipline, all of that within the structure and the system. Uh, now, within the Southern Baptist churches, basically you have what's called deacons and elders. And depending upon the setup in that church, when there's an issue like that, it goes up to the elders or the deacons, right? Depending upon the church. Uh, and they decide what to do. And so they're all independent, you know, in the sense of the elders are independent and run each each particular church. So, you know, nobody will know about it unless somebody hits the news or makes a big deal of it. The problem is these churches are so well isolated um, and can use scare tactics and fear tactics and guilt trips, you know, like it's a uh, victim shaming that people will never hear about these things, right? Um, or even know about them. And so it's because there's no oversight into this, into the structure. Since you have left, what are some things you enjoy doing now that you didn't get to enjoy doing before when you were in? (laughs) That's a great question Um, as well. Well, uh, number one on my list is sleeping in Sunday morning. I gotta tell you, um, I, I have weekends. I haven't known what weekends were like my entire life. You know, when Lionel Richie sings a song, Easy Like Sunday Mornings, I had no idea what that meant until now, right? So I number one is, is actually experiencing a true weekend. Um, number two, free to try everything and anything, right? Uh, I tried pot for the first time in my life about a year ago, right? I mean, that was, that was wild. You know, I mean, there are... You know, there are things that you can do that that you can't do as a pastor, right? And nowadays, pot's so, like, normal. Okay, he tried pot. But, I mean, you're talking about a, a former pastor and a Southern Baptist who's just like, I never would have imagined I would have done something like that, right? And so there are lots of little things throughout the day. And throughout my life, I am now have the freedom to do. And I think that's the, the beauty of it. If I want to go and have a tarot card reading for the fun of it, I can go do that for the fun of it, right? I mean, if I had done that when I was in church, I'm going, I'm, I'm communing with the devil, 
right? You know, I mean, there's so many different little odd things that, that people overlook. They'll be like, oh, okay, that's not a big deal. Why has he never done that before? You can't do those when you're a pastor in a church, right? And you're not supposed to do it when you're in a church. And so I've tried all kinds of fun little things that I've, that I've never got to experience. So for you, being so enmeshed in the Baptist church as a pastor, when you left, how was it trying to make new friends and get a new support system? Yeah, that was that was brutal. You know, because when you leave as a pastor, nobody wants to talk to you because you were their pastor. And I really think it's because people are afraid that you're going to shine some wisdom that's going to make them feel like their world's a bunch of bullshit, right? I'm sorry, am I allowed to even say that? So they don't want to talk to you because like, okay, if this person was so close to God, supposedly, and he just left, do I want to know why? Is he really just trying to go out and sin? I mean, how does someone do that, right? Uh, And so leaving was like this empty chasm where there weren't many people even reaching out and saying, why did you leave? It was just silence. And so making new friends, obviously the cigar shop was cool. Ironically enough, when I started going on, I went on Facebook and I created a new Facebook account. Not many people know that. And I just, as healing, I just started posting all these things I always wanted to post. It was cathartic uh, to do that. And people started following me. (laughs) You know, we started joking. It'd be fun. And then I went to IG. I went on IG and I found this community on there, the people they were deconstructing. And I've never known that before, you know, because I started in like in 2003, slowly doing that and moving forward. Right. And so I had no idea, you know, case in point, I don't know if you follow the naked pastor, you know, when talking to him, he says, right, you know, before IG even burst on the scene, we were both deconstructing. That tells us our age. Right. So I started meeting people, making community there Uh, on my IG. I do a lot of interviews. Uh, the first year of my, I've only been doing uh, uh, life coaching for a year. And that first year I interviewed about 50 people. And it's great getting people's stories out there because I feel like stories heal the person speaking them and stories heal uh, the people listening because they're like, oh, I'm not the only one. And I just found a group of people that um, I talk to, that I love, that we communicate with. I've seen some of them in person which has been great. And so I'm building um, new friendships just one step at a time. It's not easy when you get to my age and suddenly, you know, you're thrown out there and you have no community and anything that you have is, I don't want to say worthless, but I mean, Hey, I was in Bible college. How about you? You know I mean? Like, you know, (laughs) what'd you do? Oh, you don't want to know kind of thing. So I'm enjoying making new friends and being accepted for who I am and not what I can do for somebody else or what I believe. So as a life coach, you probably talk to people of all different former faiths. Have you noticed is the same ideas just with slightly different wrapping paper? That totally. As a matter of fact, there's always that constant thread in there. It's control and power. Right. It doesn't matter which God you believe in or which prophet or, you know, what teachings where someone's trying to control your life. Right. And someone's trying to tell you what to do, how to live, what to say, you know, 
They're trying to make you tithe money to them. They're trying to so-called help you have a better life while running your life to their satisfaction, right? And so uh, that that thread is common. And and another thread that comes through there is the fact that when you're in that type of cult, religion, they totally make you doubt yourself to where you don't trust yourself anymore. You can't trust your own thoughts, your own feelings, and you have to somehow reestablish that after you leave. So I see a lot of similarities across religions and across cults that, that are definitely the same. What religion do you feel has the most similarities to the Baptist church? You know, that's, I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm thinking about, okay, let's see. The Catholics hate the Mormons. Mormons hate the Catholics. Southern Baptists don't like the Catholics and don't like the Mormons. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's rivalries all over the place. Uh, as far as similarities, um, I think they're all guilty of the same thing. Uh, I, I do. I, I don't. I mean, even Mormonism, you know, uh, themselves have the same thread that run through their religion as Southern Baptists. And so I think there's similarities between them. Maybe they hate each other because they see a lot of them and each other. I don't know. But but there there definitely is hatred between all of the different religions. Right. I mean, we're not even talking about any of the other ones uh, that are out there. It's like it's like there's this belief in all the religions that they are the right one and everyone else is wrong. And all the religions believe that all the cults believe that. Right. Uh, just the arrogance of it all is astounding to me. So I, I, I think there's similarities between all of them. They just never want to, to say that. I see similarities to Mormonism with so many different religions. For example, the Catholic church the repentance model most closely resembles the Mormon repentance process. But it is interesting because overall I feel SBC or Southern Baptist Church, I feel that that most closely resembles Mormonism. Well, you know, it depends, right? Because you're right. You are totally right. Uh, Catholicism, Mormonism works, right? You know, Southern Baptist, you think grace, right? However, there are still segments of Southern Baptists that are not once saved, always saved, right? And so that's a works kind of thing in there too. So the outliner, I would think, would be the once saved, always saved compared to what the other religions as well as some Southern Baptists um, believe as well, or Pentecostal even. When I first left Mormonism, I left pretty abruptly where I was going every week and then all of a sudden I wasn't going at all. So for me, I was missing community, but going to Southern Baptist Church, for me, it was the same bullshit ideas with just slightly different wrapping paper. And it wasn't just cult cousins. It was like cult siblings, in my opinion. So for me, I said, peace out. That's interesting because the one, I wouldn't say the one hang up, but the one, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can see the similarities. I can. Now, if I had said that when I was working in church, they would have crucified me. 
but uh, I, I can see that. It was so weird. They won't let me go to small groups until I joined. And it was like, you won't let me know what is going on until I join. And that for me was just a big problem. And, and that was ultimately why I said, peace out. It's, 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 it's all about the system, all about the control. And, and they, they try to grab you in any way they can because it's about growth and about numbers. They'll tell you it's about salvations. And, and I really think that a lot of them do believe that um, and have that. But really, it's, it's the model of keeping the church growing and keeping those that come in there as theirs. Even even Southern Baptist churches don't always play nice with other Southern Baptist churches. You know, it's like a, it's almost like, hey, is our church larger? Or are we retaining people? What what is it? Can we keep this going? And so, them having you join or become a member before attending anything, before volunteering, is all on purpose. Well, I saw through that. I said maybe if I can see what it is like before I join. But yeah, they wouldn't even let me do that. So I stopped going and I just didn't join. After seeing how similar they were, I pretty much deconstructed all religions soon after that. I just kind of decided that all religions were bullshit. Yeah, since since I left, I have not stepped foot on a, on a Sunday morning, a worship service or anything. I mean, when I when I exited... I mean that was that was it. I was done. I go well this because I I started reading things I wasn't supposed to read, right? And I started studying things in the in the Hebrew and the Greek and whatever have you a little bit more closely, and started pulling that thread and everything started falling apart. And and when that happens for me, I was like, okay, I don't want any part of this at all. And I've been lied to my entire life, right? I I, I haven't critically thought and. And I've been lied to about what I was supposed to believe my entire life. And so I, there was a stage there where I was pretty pissed off. You know, it's like I wasted my life on this shit. You know, I mean, that was the thought that it kept coming into my mind is, oh, my God. Right. So, yeah, going back to church is a, is a no go for me. Yeah, for the most part, I think most people are like that. Rarely I have seen people find a new religion and it works out. But for the most part. People either seem to be agnostic or atheist. You know, it's funny you say that because a lot of my clients and people I've I've had as my clients, I never tried to push them one direction. I want them to just be who they want to be instead of being told all the time who they're supposed to be, right? And so while we walk through deconstruction, I have some that come out on athea- as atheists, some that, that switch denominations within the church, but it's a matter of time before even that one doesn't satisfy him, right? Um, and I have some that become agnostics. I, I believe there's a higher power potentially, but I don't think it's the one of the Bible, right? And so it's always interesting to me that the hard, most difficult thing that they struggle with coming out of that is is community, right? Uh, or family or, you know, friends, whatever have you, because they walk out of somewhere that tells them this is, this is the only community you'll ever find that's good. And so they're taking a step out there on their own, finding new friends and realizing those friends, those friends are really cool. They're good. I mean, 
they're not evil like the church tells them, right? So um, it's it's interesting to see where people land. Now, as we get close to wrapping up, what are three tips you have for people looking to leave a high-demand religion or cult? Well, I think my first and foremost, don't feel the need to have to share your deconstruction with everybody, right? Or anybody at a time. You know, it's your personal journey, um, and you should be able to navigate it however you want to navigate it. Uh, Unfortunately, far too often, people will say it right away, and they'll get bombarded by people, and they haven't taken the time necessarily to deconstruct enough to know their own thoughts, and so they feel like, oh, yeah, maybe what I believe is crap. I don't know, and they doubt themselves, right? The second is the friends that stick around will be the ones that love you for you and not just tolerate you. Okay. And those are the friends that you always hang on to. If you're feeling like you have to jump through hoops to maintain a friendship because of religion or anything else, just leave it. Leave those, those so-called friends behind because those aren't your true friends. Um, and don't always have the best interest in mind for you. And the third is fully explore whatever you want to explore, but don't, and don't box yourself in with a label. Uh, people often ask me, are you agnostic? Are you atheist? Are you kind of Christian? What are you? And I go, I'm whatever I want to be. I don't, I've spent my life in a box and a label, and that's always for somebody else. It's never for yourself. It's so someone else can put you in a category and think you're going to believe something or act a certain way. Throw off those labels. But you believe today, you may not believe tomorrow, Right. And so I, let me just encourage anybody that is, is out there alone, um, do those three things. And then, you know, if I could add a fourth thing, go on IG or somewhere where you can follow a deconstruction group or people that you know are encouraging. And believe you, all your anger you feel and the disappointment is valid. Your feelings are valid. Contrary to what you've been told, your feelings are valid and you should embrace those feelings. So those are just a few things that uh, that I would encourage people to do that are thinking about leaving or going through deconstructing. Well, those are great tips, and thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Have a great day. Thanks again for joining us today. As always, I want to give special thanks to our sponsor and friend, Corporate Design Solutions, who has generously made it possible for this podcast to be a reality. If anyone is looking for help protecting their digital info, please email Michael at helpdesk at corpdesignsolutions.com.